Good morning. We have too many chairs out, that's for sure. We're so spread out. Um, anyway, uh, we'll, we'll fix that for next week. But it's good to see you all here. Um, um, I'm really excited to be preaching. I, I, just so you know, Aaron is unwell. In fact, the whole family seem to be uh, suffering from various illnesses at the moment. He was supposed to be preaching today, and uh, he's got tonsillitis, uh, which is nasty. Uh, so uh, about Thursday, we said, I think I better uh, offer to preach. He said yes. So, so I've gone for it. Um, Let's see what God does this morning, because there's so much that's kind of downloading, even as I was sat back there drumming, uh, uh, sometimes on my own, uh, drumming, uh, <laughs> uh, but it was good. Uh, do you know that we serve a God of the miraculous? Yes. You know that, right? You know we serve a God of the miraculous, a God through whom nothing that our human minds could conceive is impossible, a God who breaks in and he rescues people, and he rescues them from most treacherous and difficult circumstances, because we serve a God of miracles, amen, we serve a God of miracles, Psalm 77, 14 to 15, hopefully uh, I can click, oh I can't click, oh I can click, there you go, it says this, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. That's where we're going. We're in a series of, uh, we're going into Exodus. What I preached last week, you kind of need to listen to it if you haven't already, because it really is going to dovetail into this week um, about the sort of things that God wants to say. Because we serve a God who can restore a broken person, who can restore a broken nation and a broken individual. Um, and he is a miraculous God because we serve a God of miracles. Amen. We serve a God of miracles. Creation is a miracle. Creation is a miracle. When you think, and people have done scientific studies, and I'm not nerdy enough to look at them, but the chances of human life, a life at all existing on any planet is so infinitesimally small. So many things have to be right for it to even happen, and so many things have to stay in control for it to survive. There's a miracle that we're on this planet and we're breathing. Creation is a miracle. The fact we breathe air, we take in all this gunk and our system filters it out and we breathe out some gunk and we keep going and we do it millions of times in our lifetimes. It's just a miracle of creation. We cut, whether you come from an evolutionary background, I'm not even going to go there. Either way, how, whatever you believe about how creation happens, it's a miracle. It's a miracle because we serve a God of miracle. And an even bigger miracle is among 7.7 .7 billion people on this planet, 7.7 .7 billion people, he chooses to know us. He picks you out. The Bible says he can number every hair on your head. He knows who you are. Among 7.7 .7 billion often struggling people, he reaches down and tries to help you with your life. That's a darn miracle that he would do that. Because we serve a God of miracles. One that will come in to the depths of our despair and our lostness and try and restore us back out if we're willing to walk with him. is a miracle because we serve a God of miracles. I'm quite excited. Um, yeah, because what God seems to be doing at the moment through Exodus, which is a book I really have not read too much of, to be honest with you. Read my Bible, of course, but it's not Exodus isn't my go-to place. I'll just sit in the New Testament. Ha, ha, ha. But I'm into, I'm into Exodus and I can see what God does. He uses the struggles to, to fulfill his purposes. He uses the most desperate situations that seem there's no way out of this. They can't possibly be. to kind of turn it around for his purposes because we serve a God of miracles. Those personal struggles we go through, those struggles that the church are going, let me not imply anything other than they are very real. Often we just want to say, look, you shouldn't be struggling. Don't tell that to any Christian who tells you they're struggling. It's the worst thing you can say. You shouldn't be feeling that way. 
Because tell me about the Israelites. You shouldn't be feeling that way, guys. I know you're being beaten, downtrodden, all your kids are being killed, but you shouldn't be feeling that way because no, that's not the answer. They are genuinely struggling and we struggle. Of course we do. The pattern of Exodus, though, is like a plot-twisting pattern. It's a plot-twist. It's like this is trying to happen and you wait until you see how he's going to twist that plot around. It's amazing. We serve a God of absolute skill and infinite wisdom in how he can turn circumstances around that just stun us, ultimately. And after you, uh, you uh, listened to my preach of last week, if you weren't here, um, I talked about he's with you in the valley. He's not just with you in the mountaintop when you're like, yes, he's down there in the valley with you. He's down there in the valley with his people. And the more I read Exodus, it's like a faith-building, against-all-odds, cue Phil Collins music kind of story. We're, uh, older people will know that song, some Against All Odds. My word, I'm feeling so old. But, but Phil Collins had this song, Against All Odds. It kind of just kept repeating in my head, Against All Odds, Against All Odds. A demonstration of what God can actually do. And most of it is happening in the early stages of Exodus. There's, there's some big stuff coming, right? There's some burning bushes. There's a sea that's going to part. There's some seriously big stuff coming along the way. There's going to be some plagues. And they are quite significant, to say the least. Um, but in the early stages of Exodus, what he's doing is he's operating through people. Amen. He's operating through individual people. He's working out his purposes in the early stages. This is coming. Stuff's coming. But right now, I'm just going to work through people to get things in the place I need them to get them to. And so he's setting a stage up through some amazing women. Because most of the early story about the bravery and courage of some particular women, we have a value in this church of courage. We believe that we have to be courageous in our faith. You're going to meet some courageous women in the early stages of Exodus. Um, now, I just want to go into this with two hopes in mind. Two hopes in mind. One is the hope that we believe that there is revival for the church in this nation against all odds. The other one is that we believe that there is revival and freedom for each one of us as individuals, sometimes against all odds. If we go into that, we're going to go into good space. So I'm going to start quite early on with the scripture, read you this piece of Exodus. It's 2, 1 to 10. If you want to find that in your Bibles, always hand it to have them open. I'm going to re redeem uh, some F words here. Careful, Andy. I know that. Uh, but I want to uh, sort of alliteration. I want to talk about fear, five females and their faith. So fear, five females and their faith. So let's read Exodus together. All right, that's pretty small. That's why you need your Bible. Now, now a man from the house of Levi went and took oh, as his wife a Levite woman. Levites will become kind of significant later. Um, so that's all part of the story too, but we'll leave it for now. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that, the, that it was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done, of, done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young, woman, young women walked beside her, the river. Sorry, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. Just remember from last week what you're supposed to do with a Hebrew boy. You're supposed to drown it. Okay? This is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse? 
from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And it makes a nice cartoon. It makes it feel dramatic. If we had the sound on, the music would have kind of like, down he goes, fighting through these things. And, and actually, the song she sings before, I didn't want to play it all, is sort of like, river, take care of him, river, protect him, river, you know, look after him. And I like Prince of Egypt, by the way. Don't get me wrong. If you like it, don't think this is some kind of a, you should burn the videotapes, you should crack the DVDs or delete the download. I'm not saying that at all. But that particular scene troubles me because it misses so much of what the scripture's actually trying to point out it misses so much of it because it misrepresents what happened you know Moses did not get thrown up and down alligators and a hippo where's that come from all right he's not like thrown into the river and she's like and her sister's going oh, oh. she runs down the bank and, and Moses is getting thrown up everywhere and, if, and even gets caught in a net who made that one up you know and down he goes and crashes and eventually he drifts slowly into the palace where the Pharaoh's daughter is and picks him up and says whoa he's cute nice on a cartoon, let's go and introduce him to Pharaoh. It's not what happens at all. And nice though it is for a dramatic story, it's not what the scripture tells us. And if you believe that version, you're going to miss tons of what actually the scripture is trying to say. Because it plays down the strategic nature of what's actually happening. This is an intentional act. She's doing what she believes is right. She, I'll talk about her a bit later, his, his mother. She doesn't put him in the, in the, the middle, she puts him in the, in the reeds where it's calm. Because that's where people bathe. You don't bathe in the middle where the hippos are. You bathe on the edge where it's calm and you pushed, you pushed the boat towards the people in the calm water. It's strategic. She knows what she's doing. So let's look at these five females. Fear, five females and faith. That's a lot of spit. Right. So, uh, are we back on? I'm not clicking anymore. There we go. All right. I've got to skip past my improvised in case it didn't work. All right. Fear. So we all love a massive plot twist film, right? We love them. The, the plot twist is, is great. And um, especially when you get to the end of the film, you're like, no way. I had no idea that was coming. The whole film, I've watched the whole thing. And at the end, I, I didn't know that. Now, there's some classic films of that type. One of my favourites is Usual Suspects. If you haven't seen that one, I won't ruin it for you. But at the end, you go, no way. The whole film, I was completely taken in. And at the end, it's like, no way, it can't be. The Sixth Sense, he's dead, okay? If you haven't watched it already, it's too late. It's been around for years. End of The Sixth Sense, you realise, oh, my word, he's dead. And in fact, what he is, is he's moving in another... And that's, that's The Sixth Sense. Ruined for everyone who ever watches it. But man, I love it. It's been around for 20 years. Get a move on. So, Sixth Sense has got this plot twist where you go, no way. And then there's, of course... John, isn't there? The Empire Strikes Back. <gasps> I am your father. That is like one of the biggest plot twists of me. You're like, no way, he can't be his father. Darth Vader cannot be Luke's father. And you're blown away by how on earth this twist comes that you just didn't see coming. Because in those circumstances, in that one, he just cut Luke's hand off, I think. It's pretty bad, you know. It's not great introducing. Hi, my dad, shake your hand. Oh, sorry, can't. I'll just cut it off with us. Anyway, but uh, strange move. Because uh, he does reach out. Take my hand. You cut it off. No. 
Maybe it's before. Anyway, uh, John will correct me later. Um, but let's just remind ourselves what's going on in Exodus because you're going to see the biggest plot twist, or you have seen, and let's just unpack the plot twist because that cartoon looks like it's an act of chance. This is a plot twist, big one. Pharaoh has said, if we go back into the end of Exodus 1, uh, Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Spoke last week about why he let the daughters live, but the point is he said everyone. Now, now I didn't spot it until I kind of looked it closer. He means including the Hebrews. Throw your own child in the river because you're all Egyptians. You're all part of my people. So it wasn't Egyptians go and find the Hebrew babies and throw them in the water. It was everyone, including you Hebrews, throw your own child in the water because I want them all gone, all the baby boys. So he starts by, just to remind you, he starts by suppressing the Egyptians, he, uh, sorry, the um, Israelites. He tries to put them into slavery, bind them up, doesn't work, they increase. Tries to then say, midwives, could you take, care of, take out all the baby boys that are born? They didn't do it, doesn't work. Third plot is everyone Every baby boy now born to the Israelites will be thrown into the river because I'm fearful and I hate these people. I want them dealt with. That was his plot line. This is genocide. Let's not forget, this is a genocide situation. And yet God is going to use it in the most ridiculous way to make his plan come to pass. Because it's because of that genocidal situation that Moses' mother does something to get him out of there. And her name is Joshua Jochebed. I'm trying to say that correctly. She's married to a guy called Amran. She initially hides Moses until she can do it no more. Now, that doesn't mean she wasn't capable. It means that he's crying. He's making a lot of noise. If you know the story of the diary of Anne Frank, you know, that's that sort of whole story about being hidden away in a house. There's echoes of this. Can't make a noise. They'll find us. That's when they were hiding uh, in the Netherlands from the Nazis. And they hid in the house and they had to be quiet at times because if anyone heard them, they would be found. Same situation kind of with Moses. She realized she can't keep him silent any longer and it's too risky. And sooner or later, he's going to get found. And in this genocidal culture, that would be disastrous. So that causes her to put Moses in the water. It causes her to do it. Not in a raging torrent. In the reeds by the edge where she knows that's where the Egyptians will bathe. That's probably where she may have well known, we don't know for sure, she knew Pharaoh's daughter would be there. But she's strategically doing it. So the irony is that through the threat of death to her baby, it ends up being found by Pharaoh's daughter. But Moses' sister, two spots an opportunity in the video, she just doesn't do anything but sing. Nice, but she doesn't. In the real story, she actually sees an opportunity and intervenes and comes in. And actually, in the big, big plot twist, because Pharaoh cannot nurse the child. I don't think Ramses is there. Ramses is there, by the way. I think that's another cartoon thing, because no one could nurse the child. So she said, well, no one can nurse it here. Who can nurse it, feed it? Pharaoh's, um, uh, sorry, uh, Moses' sister thinks, aha, that's my chance. Shall I get someone to nurse it for you? Go on, then. <laughs> All right. Calls over Moses' actual mother and back the baby goes to the mother it's a crazy plot twist pharaoh's daughter and then says and i'll pay you to do it i'll pay you don't know who you are but you'll look after this baby of mine and i will pay you to look after your own child and because she's now and because moses is not named it of course is pharaoh's son technically pharaoh's grandson sorry under the family he now comes under the protection of pharaoh 
This is getting more and more ridiculous. This Hebrew boy is now under the protection of Pharaoh, being raised and paid for by Pharaoh's uh, whole kingdom, and he's a Hebrew boy, the very thing that he's trying to get rid of. It's a crazy plot twist, because we serve a God of miracles. Moses even gets the finest education as he grows up that Egypt can pay for, because we serve a God of miracles. So let's take a few minutes to just look uh, briefly at the five females that are executing this plot and this plan. I want to bring some things out, and then I want to get to kind of how does this apply to us and what we should be praying for. I feel God has led me into at least. Um, The five females. So remember, the the story, and and perhaps when you read it, all eyes are on Moses, um, because that's the way, uh, certainly the way the cartoon would have been working. But really, at this point, no disrespect to new parents, we have a few, it's just a baby, all right? just a baby. He's not doing anything. In fact, he's probably eating, pooping, and smelling. There's no indication that she looked upon him and thought, you are going to set my people free. That's not, there's no indication of that. There's nothing that will give you a clue to that. Just a baby. She doesn't know. She feels protected to him, but why should we write stuff into the Bible that isn't there? Any mother would feel protected towards their child, but God has a plan. So we can overplay the fact, and it says actually in the scripture, the woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw the son, it was a fine child. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, some translate that into uh, beautiful from fine or even comely, this attractive child. Um, just get one thing straight. Who wrote Exodus? Moses. Okay, pinch of salt here. I was so gorgeous. That's essentially what you're saying. I was, I, when my mum looked at me, she just literally was like, man, this is a good-looking child. That happened with Joel, didn't it, actually, in truth? Yeah, it did. When he's born, we're like, oh, so cute. And everyone who's getting pictures of the Abraham babies because of about 400 going out a day, we all realise that Jonah is so cute. All babies are so cute. Anyway, personally, I don't see anything in Scripture that tells me that she knows exactly what he's going to be, but he is a gorgeous baby. But let's set that aside for a moment. Let's talk about these five women in the story. Two things to note. Think about their status, who they are, certainly four of them, and their courage. And so the five females are uh, Shifra, Pua, Jochebed, Miriam. They're Hebrews. And you've also got Pharaoh's daughter, the Egyptian. Names are not definite. Um, One I've seen says it's probably Tammuth. But there are various conversations about who that is. The point is, because the Bible doesn't say it, it's because it's not that important. The important thing is she's Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, so Shipra and Pua, you met last week. That's not the warthogs from the Lion King and the Meerkat. I always think that when I hear their names. That's, that's someone else. But, but, but these are two midwives that I mentioned last week. They are more fearful of God than Pharaoh. So they say, oh, we're not doing your bidding. So his second plan, plan B to get rid of the Hebrews, they say, we ain't doing it. A high, high risk to them. This is a, this Pharaoh, yeah? He's, he's up for killing people, yeah? And, he, and they say, we're going to sneakily not do what he says. High risk strategy, incredible courage. Some theories are they weren't just the only two, two midwives, but they might have been the leaders of others. And they said, we're not doing this. So we're going to kind of make up versions. Oh, they were so quick at giving children. We couldn't get to them in time. It's too late. You know, that's, but they were, they were coming up against fear. Then you've got um, Jochebed, Moses' mother. And let's look at her for a moment. She's brave and she's smart. She's figured out how to make this work. And she's got courage. So she decides... She can't hide her babies, we said. And so in some ways, she does do what Pharaoh said, because he's saying, put your babies in the river. And she thinks, well, close enough, in a basket. 
in the river, did what you said, there we go. So there's an element of that to it to think about. But I think what's clear, and most people believe, agree, that she was quite intentional. She knew where to go, where to put him for his safety, and where others would be. Now, you've got to think about this for a second. She's putting her baby amongst Egyptians, who are working under an edict to remove all children and boys. She must be convinced of something. She's, she's essentially pushing her baby towards the people that have decided, the royal family have decided, get rid of them. There's something going on there. There's something happening more than just she was doing, because the cartoon makes it look so nice, doesn't it? Out I push, lovely Pharaoh's daughter, so sweet and kind, picks up the baby. No, think about it. I push my baby towards the Egyptian royal family who have just, it, it just cast an edict to get rid of all the babies. It's not nothing, no music, no cartoon. Think what she's doing. High risk strategy. And I can imagine, so let's be clear, I am imagining here because you've got to be careful with conjecture. If I just leave my Bible there and step over here as Matt Chandler often does, I'm telling you something I think. Um, but firstly, we're pretty certain that, that um, Jochebed and Amran were people of faith. You'll hear some more about them later. But as she pushed the basket or the boat, um, which wasn't uncommon making boats like that, small boats, towards, was she not praying? Was she not asking God, look after this child, please? If she had any faith, would you not be praying at that moment? Of course you would. Come on, let's get real. You would be praying. I don't know why I'm doing this, but God, please look after this child. That's an act of faith. That's a moment of pushing them towards the most risky group of people. God, please. Then there's Miriam, the little girl you saw running about. That's Moses' older sister. She's just a child, but she's got courage too. She's got smarts. She, we don't know how, but she must have heard a conversation or something and said, do you want me to get someone to nurse a child? I mean, a little child. We don't know how old she is exactly, but she's very young. Talks to Pharaoh's daughter, a god in their eyes, the royal family. She walks up and says, would you like me to get someone to nurse the child for you? She is shrewd. She goes, says, I'll find someone to nurse and literally knows full well. <laughs> you said yes. I'm going to go and get my mum to look after your child. She is, she is shrewd. And then there's Pharaoh's daughter coming from a very different position of status, of course, a member of the royal family. Um, and you watch Prince of Egypt and you look at that and you think, oh, she looks so sweet and nice. But remember what she's part of. She's part of Pharaoh's family and they have issued a massive edict. As, as Alex uh, Mocha put it in his book um, on this, he said, she came from a savage and heartless royal family capable of, capable of an edict of genocide, of commanding that babies should be thrown into the river. And yet knowing that, Pharaoh's daughter is going to put her neck on the line too. Something in her is driving her towards compassion, towards the very thing that her entire family is hell-bent hell against getting rid of. Something's gone on in her heart, whether she's just courageous, lost because the baby was so cute, we don't know, but something's happened in her that puts her in a place of vulnerability too. She's going to go eventually and present this baby to, Mo, uh, to Pharaoh, not like the film showed, not straight away. A Hebrew child to Pharaoh. That must go against everything her father and king, that godlike figure that he was in their eyes, 
thinks, and yet she's going to pay for even his tumble-top nursery fees. She's getting right in the middle of it all, and she's going to pay for everything. So you've got all these women from different backgrounds, ages, the poor, the downtrodden. There's no reason to believe that Jochebed and Amram would have been anything less than struggling like everyone else was who was an Israelite in that nation, being treated so badly. No reason to believe that they were any more than that. They were in some, some ways enslaved with those heavy burdens we talked about. And yet each of them, in the midst of fear, demonstrated courage for whatever was in front of them against all odds. Were any of those four Hebrew women exceptionally superhuman? You've got uh, a poor slave woman, I guess. would be probably fairly true of Jochebed. Miriam, little girl, and two midwives. Yet those three in their courage have, pl- have played out God's plan, and it's changed the world. So let me ask you this. What's the most common phrase in the entire Bible? The most commonly repeated phrase? Exactly. We think it might be, you know, with all its rules, if you don't know your Bible, it must be a bunch of don't do this, don't do that. Because that's how the Bible is, and it? it's just a bunch of rules for people. It is a do not, but it is this. It is do not fear. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. That, that is what the Bible predominantly mentions 365 times, one for every day of the year. It's encouraging, isn't it? It says, do not fear, do not be afraid, or do not worry. Depends how the word gets translated. Let's just dwell on that for a moment. God is fully aware that fear creeps in, that worry and anxiety comes into our lives. It's over and over again in the Bible mentioned time and time again. That fear can actually stop us moving forward. I know you can imagine a dramatic scene. You know, there's many scenes where you think something happens and you're just rooted to the floor in fear of something. But even in life, you feel like I'm just stuck. I, don't, I feel anxious. I can't move forward. Fear can stop us moving forwards. In our walk with him, in our lives in general, it can freeze us in position. So here's a question for the church. What are we afraid of? What do we fear? Because I think we've become frightened in our own nation. We've become a fearful people, worried about how we're going to be received and whether we're going to be rejected or not. And fear has stopped us moving forward. It's taken all our boldness away. It takes my boldness away sometimes in my situation at work where I'm thinking I should probably say something about my faith, but I'm frightened. I don't know why, can't explain it, feel anxious about it. What are we afraid of as a church? But as I said, the same question could be applied to us. What is it that's pressing in that we are worried about, that makes us anxious and fearful? Is it the fear of failure, the fear of man, embarrassment, the fear of rejection, inadequacy? We're just not strong enough. Our faith isn't quite deep enough. We're not even smart enough. We're not connected enough. We're not spiritual enough. There's so many not enoughs cast over us. And they're actually versions of fear and anxiety that can stop us from moving forward. The story of Moses reminds us again and again that fear is, is very real if it's just us. If it's just us alone, if it's just me alone, then I can give in to that fear. But I'm not alone. We are not alone. You are not alone. If we want to move forward in our faith, find peace and joy, trying to do that on our own is really difficult. If you don't have Christ in your life, trying to do life on your own, trying to figure out all the difficulties of life and going it alone and giving it your best shot. And I've had some people share their faith and it's so strange when someone says, I don't have a faith, I believe this. And they tell you what they believe and you're thinking, 
you just told me what your faith is. I don't believe, I believe there is an afterlife, but it's not really that, and there's no, there's no true, everyone's sort of weighed up at the end, and it's kind of this, and, and you think, you have a faith, you've just made one up, and you've decided, some people say, you just die, and we just, that's it. That's still a faith. That's a belief system you've got. If that's what you have, I'd be very afraid that I'm wrong. Without God, you'd have every right to be fearful, but we're not alone, and we serve a God of miracles. 365 times in the Bible, it says, do not fear or worry or doubt. We are not alone. You are not alone. The church is not alone. But how do we get over it? Because just saying, get over it because God loves you. Or God, could you just please remove this anxiety, this fear, this doubt from me? Take it away. That's not exactly how the Bible often instructs us. Because I don't want to lie to any of, of you. We are sometimes gripped by fear. We can't quite explain. Anxiety, we can't quite explain. Difficult moments when we think, I just do not, I'm, I'm worried, fearful inside. And other times it's very obvious. Sometimes it's much more subtle. Casting out fear is not stiff upper lip Englishness. It's not standing stoically and saying, I, w- I, I will not fear. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. Okay, so now have faith. Done. Not that simple either. If you read Hebrews 11.23, and remember this is written much, much later. This is Hebrews in the New Testament looking back at the story of Moses. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So what do we glean from that lack of fear? Shokobeb and Amran had faith in God. I believe that to be true. They had faith in God. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, it is the Lord, this is to, uh, Moses talking to Joshua uh, later, in the, uh, later in the story of Moses. He says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Some of you are dismayed today. The Bible says don't do it. Why? Because God is with you and he will go before you. We are not alone even in the valleys like I mentioned last week. 1 John 4, 8 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For, here, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. The message translation translates that to well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment is one not yet fully formed in love. Now we could get superficial and say, okay, what does that even mean? Perfect love banishes fear and take it as red. Give it your best shot. But let's look at this. Who was perfect? Who was perfect? Jesus Christ was perfect. There's only ever been one was perfect Jesus was perfect say amen if you're a Christian Jesus was perfect so if you and I have times when we want fear anxiety doubt and worry to go we do pray to Jesus by the Spirit but we also need to consider this For fear to go, and I've learned this through my life. Okay, I'm 53 now. 
just sounds so old when I say that, man. 53. I'm still 25 in my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I've learned this through my life. And I don't mean this in a braggy way. I just want to encourage some of you to think about this. If you want to see fear and doubt and anxiety go, then you've got to know at your very, very core, Jesus. And I don't mean just who he is. I mean what he's done. At your very core, repeatedly reminding yourself what he did Drive that deep down into the core of your very being and then fear cannot occupy the same space. Romans 10, uh, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The NIV puts it this way, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of, about Christ. When you feel hindered, hampered, not moving forward, lethargic, Remind yourselves what Jesus did. We in the, this country, in the West, have completely, in my view, lost the wonder of Christ. We've got too much luxury in our lives, therefore we don't struggle as much. We don't appreciate what's happened to us. We've lost our sense of wonder at Christ. We don't get so amazed at the story of Moses. It's an incredible story of what God did to bring back a people completely and utterly being crushed and he pulls them out. Joshua is another amazing story. If you know your Bibles and that story, you can read that one. But it's this idea, now Jesus comes and he steps in and he's going to pull us out because we serve a God of miracles. Your salvation is an absolute miracle. Your personal salvation is a miracle that God in heaven would step down and come and set you free from your sin is a miracle. If you're waiting to see the, the Colne Valley River part, that would be difficult with your barge in it, wouldn't it? But you know, you, the river suddenly part, that's, oh, now I believe. No, you are a miracle because Jesus Christ has come and he has paid for your sin. Drive that so deep into your core that no matter what happens in daily life and the struggle, you think, okay, that's bad and it hurts. Just like the Israels, it's, this hurts. But at my core is Jesus Christ who has saved you for all eternity into his kingdom. Hallelujah. That's the truth of your miracle. And sometimes think, I don't feel it. Well, tell yourself it. Read it and read it and read it and push it into yourself. We sing songs, okay? We used to do liturgy in the church. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. We've replaced that by our Father who art in heaven. It's the same thing. We're trying to drive truth. Oh, this isn't a band. Those aren't songs. This is hopefully truth driving him. We changed the words to a song today. Have you noticed it forever? Because we said that's not theologically sound. That's how conscientious we are of lyrics in songs because we're trying to drive truth into our hearts. Because we serve a God of miracles, amen? amen? Against all odds, in a fallen world, Moses leads the Israelites out. Against all odds, God steps into our fallen lives and leads us out. Hallelujah. Because we serve a God of miracles. It's the plot twist of all plot twists. That in the end, God is going to send his one and only son to earth. He's going to get spat on and mocked and beaten and put on a cross and killed in front of everyone. And the enemy's going to laugh. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. 
so much for your God. Then he dies and he rises again three days later. And with him, he conquers sin and death. And if you believe that, you are set free. It's a miracle. It's a miracle because we serve a God of miracles. The very core of our faith is that that is true. And I don't know that I've been through, as you, if you listened to last week, if you weren't here, I told you about some of the difficult situations I've been through very early in my faith. And it was knocked and it was rocked. And there's been time when it felt flat and it's still knocked and it's rocked. But at my very core is this. No matter what the enemy tells me, Jesus Christ died for my sin and I'm set free. I am forever united with the Father in heaven. I will not pay the consequences of my stupidity any longer because Jesus Christ has shed blood for me. It, when, I, when I lose sight of that, when we lose sight of that, then we can start to give in to fear. And it shouldn't be, I've done it again. No, the Bible says 365 times, you're going to have moments when you're fearful. You're going to have moments when you doubt. Perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is Jesus Christ and knowing who he is, that casts out the fear. Egypt was a mess. Egypt was a nasty place back then, a stinking mess. But through faith in the promises of God, Shifra, Pua, Jochebed, Miriam overcome fear and move forward because of their faith. They're brave women, but they're not superhuman women. They overcome fear because they had the promises of God. Psalm 27 says this. Is that the one? No. Maybe. Psalm 27. Good. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light and my salvation. So whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom Shall I be afraid? Verses 13 to 14 and 27 says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. There's a scripture. I can't quote it. I can't quote it verbatim. It's the one that says, I am convinced that neither life nor death you know, hell and government and everything that could throw itself against you. I am convinced that none of that stuff can separate me from the love of God. I might feel like rude word today, but nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I know sometimes we don't feel like it. I know as a nation we don't feel like it. I know as a church we can sometimes not feel it. I know personally we cannot feel like it. But, but I am convinced that nothing on earth or in heaven is going to separate you from the love of God. It might be times when you're thinking, oh, I've turned my back on him. Well, thank the Lord he doesn't turn his back on you. He's such a good father. I have no idea where I've gone and where I'm going now. Um, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> right, 12.02. Let, let me pray for us. Uh, and, and please, as was said before, if you want prayer, I love our prayer ministry, you don't use it enough. It'd be, it'd be a bit of a... Two things I'd like you to do differently. Can you get here on time, please, church? Crying out loud, come on, you're getting worse and worse. Make an effort. It's very disheartening as a worship team thinking there's more in the rehearsal than there are here. Um, now you're here. Get here on time. Secondly, use the prayer team. We're the t it's difficult in our type of church to figure out how you're going to do prayer. I'll pray for you now and you think, we're done, I'm gone. I'm telling you, use the prayer team. Be honest about with things. There's a great thing when someone says, I just, and I know if they're listening today, they're not going to pray, you know, okay, just know the love of God. They're going to pray that you help with clarity to once again see the truth of the miracle that you're literally walking in every day, that you have been saved 
by Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, I don't know where you're going to go today, but we're just, just trusting in you that this is what you wanted to say. That perfect love casts out fear, and we thank you that we see perfect love, and it's not Moses. Cute though he was, it's Jesus Christ. That's perfect love, that you would give your one and only son that none should perish. That is perfect love. Grace we just do not deserve, grace we can't earn, is shown most fully on the cross as you give your one and only son to pay the price for our sin. Never will I ever quite get it, and that's a good thing because you're God and I'm not. But I pray for all of us that's lost sight of that and, 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 and there's no condemnation, only conviction. You know what? By the Spirit, I pray right now, this truth is cracking through layers of doubt, layers of worry, layers of concern, that the revelation of the truth is that you have come and set us free. And Moses is a great story, but it echoes the heart of a God that likes to save people and dwell with them. You've done that for us personally. And I pray like last week, because some of us are in valleys or will be in valleys in the future, I pray this word will, will for those that aren't suffering this struggle at the moment, I pray we store this one up. Say, so when it comes, because it will come, because 365 times the Bible tells me it's going to come, I'm going to really dig in and say, whom shall I fear? I pray a blessing upon this church. I pray freedom upon us as a people. I pray for all those who are sick right now at home, struggling with illness. So many, it seems at the moment. We're light today, and a lot of that is illness-driven. Father God, I pray that you would bring healing to those people. That this word, because they're not here, would not miss out on what they need to hear. That you are with them. You're a good God. Lead us forward, I pray, Father. Would you just lead us forward, Father God? Would you open our eyes to the tricks and the deception that's gone on? Again, not for condemnation reasons, for a reason of saying, no, I hear all that noise. I hear all that stuff, but here's the truth. Here's the truth in my Bible. Here's the truth that Jesus Christ has died for me. Insert name. Jesus Christ has died for me. Saved me. Insert name. Amen. 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 Be blessed, you lovely people. Have a wonderful week. Please be prayed for. Um, have a great week. Amen.